0: Looking for beyond ordinary investment opportunities? Global X ETFs is here to help with their suite of thematic income, commodity, and digital asset funds. Explore the range at globalxetfs.com.au. And now, on with the show. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios at Lakes Entrance in East Gippsland, Victoria on the last day of my, uh, my not really break, but just sort of a working holiday at a different part of the world. Uh, uh, we are listening. You are listening to the all new BIP show, season seven, episode one. i got there in the, in the end. We are sponsored again. And thank you so much to Global X for all they've done. And a reminder that all of the financial information in this podcast is general in nature. Only speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Speaking of which, I am James Whelan, investment manager at VFS Group uh kyle goes not here uh we'll get into that later um this episode is being recorded in sydney on the 20th of january 2023 that is incredible that we managed to get there 22 is behind us to start the new season we've got heath moss and kyle rota of hlm investments and osbiz respectively how are you now boys very good morning, good. very well, thanks. Uh, now I kick off with just a, a few reviews of the market because it's a fresh a fresh podcast being recorded here on, on this Friday morning. Uh, we can talk about exactly what's going on now. And I think that what we've seen, every time we hear someone of any great import say the words stay the course, the market will naturally come off. And that's the way that it's going to go now. Um, we had Lagarde at the World Economic Forum last night, quote, we shall stay the course until we can return inflation to 2% in a timely manner. And we had Lael Brainard as well with the, quote, it will take time and resolve, though I hate that word, to, to get high inflation back down to the US central bank's target of 2%. Quote, we are determined to stay the course, um, end quote. Brainard said and that was at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. I believe Heath is a graduate of there as well. Uh, and then we finally hit, the, I finally hit the wall in the news cycle here of the, the question that I raised at the end of last year's uh, season the, the the Christmas show is bad news bad news and I went around the table to say what it is a situation comes up in the markets but that when bad news becomes actual bad news as opposed to bad news being good news that's really that's not going to be a great time for markets and unfortunately someone who I respect a great deal and a lot of people do respect a great deal listen to what he says Charlie McGilligate the strategist at Nomura we have finally hit it uh, and quote bad news is bad news end quote so there you go if Charlie says that it, it is true um, and so there's the a whole bunch of strategies of what you can do. We've seen the VIX pop down to crazy low levels, um, which means usually that's an indication for a market top or a short-term market top at least. And we did see that happen. Absolutely. Uh, Heath, mate, you've put out a note uh, just a couple of days ago, which is great. But what are you seeing now at the moment? Uh, is bad news bad news? Um, does it matter to us? Uh, does it matter to Europe? Does it matter to the US? Go.
1: Uh, look, I, I, th- I said it before Christmas, and I, I still believe it, it, it really is data dependent on that sort of uh, strategy. Um, if I think in terms of bad news being bad news again, it's going to be bad news that is unexpected bad news. Um, I, I don't see any of the bad news coming out where, you know, soft PMIs, etc. coming through in the U.S., especially that the market's reacting that negatively to. However, you know, bad news in terms of earnings. is so Obviously, the U.S. is going through uh, Q4 earnings now. So I find the big guys, which uh, they're coming up, yeah, this this week and next week in terms of earnings, uh, report something terrible like a Microsoft or an Apple or something along those lines. And I think the market would take that as bad news. Um, I think the the good news is bad news is definitely in play. We saw last night, we saw it last week with some of the jobs data, um, where it was still quite strong. Um, uh, so the market. Has come off on the back of that, obviously anticipating um, a higher inflation and continued uh, rate uh, hikes. Um, but also on the other hand, we have we've had this period since the market started rallying where we've had a long period between Fed meetings, um, and and we're coming to the end of that. And, and my play has been that the market has been quite dovish in between meetings, and then just before meetings and at meetings, the, it's u- usually quite hawkish. Is quite a hawkish statement from Powell, um, and uh, the market comes off again, uh, and we see yields and the US dollar spike. So um, that's generally how I'm seeing things at the moment. Yeah, no, no change from that uh, from that
0: course as well. Kyle Roder, Ausbiz, uh, what are you seeing at the moment? Any interesting guests that you've had this week? And, uh, and what's your first off... Do you think that is bad news bad news? Same question I asked at the end of last year.
2: Well, I mean, amongst our guests, the bad news seems to be really downplayed. And, you know, even amongst the US guests, because t- typically we get our, um, obviously, American guests sort of first thing in the morning, our, um, our time, you know, when the Wall Street closes. And there's this kind of general sense that the things couldn't possibly get any worse than it is now. And there's this kind of, I suppose, almost... Um, you know, naive desire to sort of look through any bit of bad news at the moment to, you know, some kind of um, other side of things where the Fed kind of cuts. Um, Interest rate um, uncertainty is much lower than what it was. Inflation sort of trends lower. And, you know, actually with this kind of China story evolving over the last few weeks, that seems to have really um, improved the outlook for a lot of I guess, brokers as well as, you know, investment strategists that that we speak to. So, I mean, coming into the year, again, at least based on the conversations we were having, everyone was very downbeat. And in the last few weeks, probably because price has turned around a little bit, let's be honest as well, there seems to be a real shift in attitude. So I haven't really observed yet this kind of bad news is bad news dynamic yet. I mean, obviously, we had that US data, what was it, Wednesday night, Thursday, Wednesday night which was obviously quite poor, you know, it looked like retail sales was dropping off the cliff, but people were kind of pretty quick to try and brush that aside and sort of suggest that, well, yeah, it was bad, but, you know, we had a really cold December and there was a lot of disruptions. Let's just sort of put that over there for a little while until we have more um, more evidence that, you know, things are really starting to, to slow down. So I'm actually sensing a, a lot of optimism out there at the moment. And probably the best conversation I reckon I've had this week, this week was George Baboris from K2 Asset Management, we kind of sort of tied, tied things back to the bond market in particular and sort of spoke how, you know, a lot of the equity market volatility naturally last year was was tied back to the fact that um, we had almost unprecedentedly high and elevated bond market volatility, at least, you know, the most we've seen in, what, 10 to 15 years. And by necessity, if we start to see inflation trend lower, that takes one major uncertainty out of the equation potentially and it also opens up the prospect that the Fed will if not pause soon, it will pause at some point this year and obviously the markets are pricing in cuts. So that necessary jump, drop in bond market volatility will settle equity markets and he seems to be fairly confident that we'll see, um, you know, uh, a, a decent year for, for stocks as a result. So, again, it's actually been pretty optimistic amongst most of the people we've been speaking to. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's uh, uh, there is that optimism there. I'm calling this, I, I put my note out on Monday and I, I did term it the shrugged shoulders recession. So that even if there is a recession, I'm talking about the US here, but um, you know people sort of half predicting one is here as well. The shrugged shoulders recession. Even if there is a recession, no one of any real import will care that much. So, um, and that is also actually going into the the case that there may not even be one. The Goldman Sachs global global analysis, um, and these are some. This is the global strategy team. Uh, See the US is narrowly avoiding a recession. So that's that is also interesting. Keep in mind too that. Markets do bottom in recessions as well, and so there's lots of good news for markets with regards to that. Also, if it's a thin and shallow recession, really, honestly, people aren't going aren't to care because as far as they're concerned, it's already pretty much factored in. So that's the thing. The big question that's coming up, and you mentioned the bond market, is, uh, and, I, and I did sort of turn this a couple of weeks ago in a, in a note that I put out to people so saying that there is a fight that's coming up right now between the Fed messaging saying we're going to have to keep on going harder um, maybe not as hard but in 25 increments until, until the job is done versus the bond market saying that there's going to be cuts at the back end of this year. So one of those people is going to be right and one of those people is going to be wrong. And so you've got in one corner you've got everyone who says don't fight the Fed, what the Fed wants to do, that will control the market. And then you've got the other side of things which is saying the bond market is always right. So one of those two things that's always right is going to be wrong um, and came to a head just over the weekend. You've got Jeff, Jeffrey Goodlash from the Double Line Capital "Quote my 40 plus years of experience in finance strongly recommends that investors should look at what the market says over what the Fed says," Gundlach said, and that was on a webcast last Tuesday. Um, that builds on a tweet that he said last week: "There is no way the Fed is going to five percent. The Fed is not in control. The bond market is control." And then you got on the other side of the of the fence. You got Neil Kashkari uh, from Minneapolis. Uh, he's the Fed president there. I've spent enough time around Wall Street to know that they are culturally, institutionally optimistic. I said it, it seemed almost as if the markets were playing chicken with the Fed, um, and then Kashkari laughed at that comment. They are going to lose the game of chicken, I can tell you that. So this is this is where it's all coming up to in a head about about who's right. Um, Heath, who's, yes. who's right? Is the bond market right or is the Fed going to keep on charging higher? I would trust the bond market over, over the
1: Fed. <laughs> Martin, Martin, Martin Wetton would uh, would love to hear that, mate. Absolutely. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, I mean the Fed, the Fed uh, any central bank is in, in one of the hardest, most difficult jobs in the world. They, they can't actually say what they're thinking or wanting to do down the track because, you know, the Fed knows they're going to pause or, you know, uh, maybe even cut rates by the end of this year. But they can't say that now because as soon as they say that on you would start to tank yeah, uh, and tank even harder than they have, have recently. So they've got to stay the course until they're absolutely certain they've done their job. Um, there's that stay the course phrase again. Yeah, um, love and, it. And, and it's 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 a no-win situation because you get lambasted from both sides, you know, um, over your decision-making and your rarity. So, um, yeah, I, but I, I trust the, uh, the the bond market. Um, and, and it's not just the bond market. I mean, you can see it um, across the world in terms of where prices are heading. You know, 2023 is going to be all about deflation. Um, you're seeing commodities came off in a big way, uh, energy uh Shipping you know just everything, and I think the last domino to fall it will be food because food prices are being stubbornly high, but food works in really short cycles, so it doesn't take long for you know new supply to come onto the market mm. um so yeah i'm I'm back in the bond market uh, this time around i I have to agree with you on that one too i can't I can't take the other
0: side of uh, of that uh Kyle was the bond market right, or is the fed right
2: well, I mean kind of picking up on what Heath was just saying is that um, I think the, al- almost everyone understands that the Fed's not uh, not admitting that they could potentially cut this year because they know that it would set off a sort of a vicious cycle um, that would obviously ultimately potentially undermine their ability to, well, not just hit their inflation target, but also obviously react um, appropriately to, to the slowdown when it does come as well. So, you know, it's, I think everyone sort of has a sense that this is just sort of Fed speak and mind games. Um, and as a result, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, are not not seeing any kind of substance or merit behind this whole notion that things will go to five and, and stay, to, stay at five for a really, really long time. So, yeah, I think I think it's, you know, it's basically just another off, well, it is just, you know, the forward guidance. And Mark, I don't think markets actually particularly like forward guidance because more often, more often than not, um, it creates a narrative and then it creates a reality of the situation that can sometimes be disconnected. Mm. And I think this is one of those instances where that's where that's occurring, obviously for very rational reasons, like Heath was saying, but I just don't think anyone really believes, nor believes the Fed believes, sorry, well, how do I say this? Nor believes that the Fed actually believes what it's saying.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is like,
0: this is sort of taking the Chinese data to a whole new level. And actually speaking of China and speaking of disconnect, as well, let's move over to that part of the world, because as far as I'm concerned, we've got two markets going on at the moment. We've got a U.S. market, which is seeing an earnings recession ahead of it, potential actual economic recession ahead of it as well, uh, and a, and the reaction to those things. You've also got the fund manager survey that came out a few days ago showing that investors are the most underweight the U.S. market in quite some time and actually adding to exposure in Europe as well. I think that we've got two markets, and that you've got that US market, and then you've got our market over here, which is based on China, and you've got the, the markets that are leveraged to the Chinese reopening as well. Happy New Year to all who celebrate as well. We're entering the year of the water rabbit, um, so that, that the year of the rabbit coming up. Water rabbit Water Rabbit puts out the fire. Uh, apparently, I was listening to some feng shui analysis on it, sort of tongue-in-cheek, um, the, uh, the guys, I think it's, uh credit Lee and a's i think it was it puts out uh, puts out a note I'm trying to remember who it was that, that puts it out but talking about uh, the water rabbit means it's actually going to be uh, pretty bullish for the hong kong market as, as seeing it that's there based on their feng shui now we're not that's not the actual analysis that we're looking at here but heath your best way of gaining exposure to the chinese market or what you're seeing in that direction over there Yeah, look,
1: um, obviously here in Australia, uh, we're sort of a proxy for for China. I mean, JP Morgan is is suggesting that uh, the Chinese reopen could add 1% to our GDP this year. Um, So that's the type of influence, obviously, they have on our um, economy. So obviously, the easiest way is resources um, and probably, you know, iron ore and all the big guys, so your BHPs and that. So you could you know, quite easily get exposure there. Um, copper's the other one. Um, and uh, here in Australia, we, whilst we, we export a lot of copper, there isn't really a huge amount of copper... Uh, Outside of BHP Rio uh, copper producers listed, um, so I'm I'm using and I've been using for a few weeks is the new Global X um, ETF Wire Wire um, <laughs> complete coincidence yeah. as well too. Yeah. He didn't know. He didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I but, didn't I didn't know about. I was actually going to speak about this regardless of the, the yeah. sponsor this week, and yeah. uh, it just it's a new ETF. It's only been listed a few months, um, but it's great. It gives you global exposure to those copper uh, copper miners and producers. So we you're talking about your BHPs and Rios, but you're talking about your Glen as well, uh, around the world. So that's um that's trading, I think, around eleven dollars eighty, eleven dollars ninety on our our um uh, exchange. And then, of course, if you're looking more of a retail or tech side of things, um, there's more direct exposure to China via CNU, the VanEck um, New China ETF, yeah, that is um, a good one. which is more exposed to uh, the retail side of China, so consumer spending. And I, I put it in my note a graph of uh, Chinese uh, household deposits uh, from the other week. Yeah. And uh, they have soared. They are they are four to five times higher than what they usually are. So it's similar to what happened here. We know this playbook. You know, we everyone had to stay home, couldn't go out, spend our money as usual, saved up quite a bit of money. And Chinese uh, households tend to save quite quite a lot anyway. Yep. Um, but they've saved up a lot. And that's going to, to be deployed over into China over the next, say, 18 months. So consumer spending is a, is a, a consumer discussion. is going to be an area you want to get a, a exposure to. And CNU has that. And then finally, probably... Uh, exposure to tech where China has started to ease back its uh, influence there or, um, you know, being so tough on them is uh, the beta shares Asia, the Tech Tigers um, ETF under the code Asia. Uh, that has exposure to um, a heap of not just China, uh, also Taiwan and South Korea, uh, tech giants ex-Japan over there in Asia. So they're, they're probably the, the, the best way I'm looking to get exposure to China here on okay. the
0: ASX. Well, hang on. I'm just going to pay... Uh, pay the bills and show that you know that, that, that we're doing what we're doing uh so take a break from vanilla etfs discover global x's innovative funds and industry-leading research to back your investment ideas learn more at www.globalxetfs.com.au uh that's fantastic nice uh, nice bit of reading there on my part thank you very much i'm fantastic at it uh kyle uh, China? Have you had any really good conversations with anyone about
2: the, the, the Chinese reopening over the last few months? Oh yeah, with that is out. And I mean, it goes back to uh, what we we're talking about at the top: is that if there's anything that I think has changed the market's view on the global economy, or at least the US economy, um, going from a you know hard landing to a soft soft landing, it's it's basically the surprise with China. Everyone was has been caught off guard by it. And again, once you sort of see that sort of flip in price, especially as the resource sector starts to perk up again, even our consumer stocks have been remarkable. Um, it's, it, I think that's been kind of the swing factor over the last few weeks to really shift sentiment, which for me as an aside, and this is probably, you know, imprinting my own view on this, is that um, the pickup in commodity prices as a result of what's going on in China and the expectations there could be a little bit of a problem for policymakers somewhere down the line. So that's one sort of second or third order thing that I don't know has been discussed enough just yet. But, I mean, we've had stacks of people on. In fact, it's, it's almost everyone um, just discussing how to get exposure to China this year. Mm. Um, this, continue, this continued th- uh, 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 bias towards value stocks in particular, obviously, um, commodities, even despite what was generally the outperformance last year, is is rather interesting, especially because we have the likes of you know, BHP at, at record highs, um, Fortescue at, you know, whatever X month, year highs, there's there's a lot of enthusiasm there that makes me a little bit cautious about, you know, at least right now where the valuations are and if they are a little bit too too rich at this current juncture. But... You know, some of the great conversations. A really great guy I, I recommend anyone should follow um, on Twitter and, and, you know, if you ever do watch Biz, uh keep an eye on him when his interviews are on. He's a resource analyst from Lincoln Indicators named Daniel Ortiz. He always has some fantastic conversations with him. And he's obviously he wants to try and get exposure to a diversified minor. He says the iron ore play and this has come out a lot is that it don't don't go pure play iron ore um, because a lot of that sort of good news is already priced in. We've got those miners at all all time highs. Or BHP, for example, at all time highs. The material sector very close to it. Obviously, as, a, as an extension, the iron ore price isn't really picking up um, quite the same uh, in just the same way. Yep. But he says, you know, things like that. Can, wire is what perpetually comes up when people try and talk about just you know obviously a copper etf it seems to be kind of the the best best in market again i'm <laughs> um, not 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 getting paid for this not a plug but everyone suggests wire is the as the play on on copper um locally i have done i've actually done that a few times the last couple of months so it's uh yeah. yes you're you're certainly once once it's it's it doesn't go um unnoticed yeah uh, James. cheers man <laughs> But, <laughs> the um, same, same
0: original ideas coming out of the stockbroking industry as always, mate. So it's, yeah, uh, of course. I'll try, it's I'll try right. and stray from the herd a little bit
2: more. Well, uh, yeah, well, you know, that's right. Follow the flow. Um, but, um but yeah, uh, he Daniel Ortiz again, really, really um, great young um, resource analyst. Just talking about the merits and relative valuation appeal of Rio at the moment as as a play on the China story above anything else. So. Twofold. Again, diversified miners, but also I think just be really wary at the moment because everyone's all of a sudden very excited on the space and that might might mean that things are, are getting a little bit a bit rich up here. Well it's 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 difficult to buy
0: BHP at this particular area, which is sort of why I was just thin it out with an ETF. It's a bit easier to do so. I used to actually just invest straight in the copper ETF that was listed over in London. C O P A was the was the stock code over there. And that was just basically the same to just, just track the copper price. So sort of a, a futures ETF note thing. Um, but if you look at the in- inventories of – so this is uh, – who posted this? Uh, Paul Rojas, uh, who we follow as well. She posted it, but it's straight out of Bloomberg, and I'll put it on the website as well. So please go to uh, com and, and check this out on the website. It, it's headed running on empty. LME inventories have plunged to the lowest levels in at least 25 years. So that's aluminium, copper – Nickel, zinc, lead, and tin sitting on, um, that's the on-warrant, that, that's the stocks at the London Metal Exchange. That's, that's really thin, and it's a pretty scary chart to go. If China's, if China's reopening, and if they're actually providing a little bit of juice uh, to their building industry and they get a little bit of uptick in that, there's literally not enough stuff uh, to, to, to build it as they start to stockpile again, and there's just nothing there. Now, that's, that's troubling, but it does show you why these things are at their all-time highs. And it does show you why. If you sort of close your eyes and and, and and get into it, then go for it. I still say buying copper on dips is the smartest thing you can do and your kids will thank you a very long way from now. Uh, now, was there something else? Oh, yeah, so just sticking with the Chinese thing, I have a difficulty, and Heath, you and I have mentioned this a little bit too, that I I have trouble buying direct Chinese equities, i.e. Alibaba and Tencent. And I know that Tencent has doubled since the Chinese reopening. That was... it. it we were banging the drum saying that was going to happen, and it has happened. Fantastic, great! You win a you win a prize. I can't actively own these shares because I don't like the fact that the Chinese Communist Party is taking bigger and bigger positions in more key areas of these companies like Alibaba and Tencent. What if if I've got a client, and this is sort of let's just talk about the industry that we do, and we've got clients, and, and when I've put when I've put my people into uh, an ETF, for example, that that owns Chinese equities, I've often had a little bit of rumbling and feedback from clients that they're not really comfortable doing that. Do you get that from your from your client base as well, or do your clients just not care? Uh,
1: no, <laughs> I haven't really, I haven't really had any pushback um, on, on that side of things in terms of Chinese uh, and state uh, influence on on Chinese shares. I suppose because you know it's a bit diluted because you know, we're doing everything through an ETF and we're not going direct. Mm. Um, I'd love to be buying a Hang Seng uh, ETF at the moment This on the ASX, but there isn't one. So, but, uh, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, those two Asia and CNU before, um, you know, you're buying a diversified portfolio of, of um, uh, Chinese uh, companies there. Um, and, and to me, the, the influence has always been there, whether it's been indirect or, you know, the, the the CCP has always put pressure on their companies. They don't want them to get more powerful than the government itself, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's now just being made official. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I dare say I will get some pushback um, there. But uh, in terms of the ethical, moral so- side of investing, generally the only pushback I get is uh, is gambling. Um, people don't want to be involved in gambling stocks. So uh, at this stage, no, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something, uh, someone comes forward soon enough and, and, and rejects my uh, my idea because of it. Oh, for, for sure. And I, it, it was just enough, there was enough pushback from enough of my clients
0: for me to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go out with anything like this again to own direct Chinese equities, and that, and that was the idea. And it was just just a straight, I mean, that, that's just part of our job as advisors of actually sort of hand-holding and um, making sure that, that the pulse check on the clients that you've got is actually, you know, it's fine and that you're not putting them into stuff that they're not comfortable holding. Because if you do that, then, well what's the point of investing if you're just going to invest in stuff that you don't actually feel comfortable holding that's it's up to an individual and that's our um that's our jobs as, as professionals in this industry uh speaking of casino speaking of gambling stocks macau casino stocks there was a while ago when i banged the drum saying that the chinese reopening which was i thought was going to happen in 2020 2021 early 2022 originally that uh that the Macau casino stocks were going to jump off the back of that. That was an awful, awful trade and and lost a little bit of money on that. But it seems like that is now the way to go and that has, uh, has actually finally come good for whoever stuck it out. I do know a few people who did stuck it out. So Macau... We, we,
1: oh. Yeah, I, I will note that I did see the other day that um, uh, Chinese domestic flights are back to eighty percent of what they were in 2019. Yep. So that sort of you know movement and that is, is happening again, obviously, which is obviously benefits the Macau um, and uh, the casino play.
0: Yep, yep. So there's uh, there's ways of getting that. If you want more information on that, let me know. I did have some numbers because they're all numbers, and I forget the the, the numeric Hong Kong listed. Uh, Numbers that they do is so the second that I sell something, I forget about it. But you can just <laughs> look up the Macau casino stocks, it's there. I think Winds is in there, Las Vegas Sands is up there as well. Sands China, that was the one that I, that I liked as well. Uh, what else have we got that's going on in this market at the moment? So we've talked about that. We've talked about Asia. Now we've got reporting coming up uh, this week ahead. Who have we got tonight? We've got Schlumberger, State Street, Huntington regions. Um, we've seen the bits and pieces. Now let's talk some stats. I've got a stat for you and then uh, and then I might do a quick around the grounds and then we'll close it off, okay, guys, so we can all get on with our jobs. And I've got TV at, uh, in half an hour time. I'm talking to David Scott, um, Kyle, as well, so we're ready to go there. Talking defensives, and I think that there's defensive plays in this market that you want to have, but I think if you want to stay invested, potentially a European exposure would be maybe the best way to stay invested and not be overexposed to what is probably going to come back over the short term if you want to be tactical um, and keep an eye on European players. Uh, Luxury goods, as again, probably the best exposure to a Chinese reopening might be in that particular regard. If you think that copper is overpriced, then maybe the, th- the fact that they're just going to buy a whole heap of stuff with all that sloshy money that Heath mentioned before as well. Now, I've got a stat for you guys, and this is going to blow your minds. Uh, and This came from Classic Always is Carson Research. Um, what's his name? Ryan... Dietrich, I think it is, uh, that the, the tweets for and Research, he's always got these amazing stats. Don't forget past performance, past stats, are no indication of what's happening in the future. However, you love this. If stocks are down the previous year, this is the US, the S&P 500, if stocks are down in the previous year and you get a Santa Claus rally, which there was a slight one, and you get the first five of the days being up, and January is a green up month, then... You will every single time have an up year for the full year that follows that. So we had a down year, correct? So for example, two thousand and pick a number, two thousand and twelve. There was a down year the year before. The Santa Claus rally happened at the end of that year, one point eight percent. The first five days of the next year, twenty twenty, twenty thirteen, I think it was, or whatever it was. The first five days were up one point nine percent. January return was up four point four percent. Full year return was up. Thirteen point four percent. So that's that. That that is um that is sort of just the fact of life. On average, um, when you do get those things happening, it's up, the market will be up twenty seven percent more or less. Again, big grain of salt with that sort of stuff because it's unprecedented with what's going on in the Fed and unprecedented, uh, always unprecedented with what's going to happen in the future. Anyway, but what's your take for the rest of the year? This being the first show, Heath, where do you think we're going to end up?
1: Uh, I think we're going to end the year higher than where we are here, but not materially higher. I'd say you know here in Australia, five, ten percent maybe. Um, especially if you include dividends. Uh, the US, I think, will be relatively flat to higher, slightly higher. Um, obviously, the the earnings side of things is is uh, where where everyone's keeping their focus at the moment. Will there be an earnings recession? I was gonna I actually got a couple of stats for you. So at the moment, over the next four quarters, um, earnings are expected to be dead flat. Um, basically. uh, I think it's a 0.7% rise in earnings over the next four quarters. Mm -hmm. But on average, uh, analysts are 7% too optimistic on a 12-month forecasts or outlook on earnings but on the other side of things earnings tend to outperform forecasts by three to four percent so you're looking at a you may be a four percent upward range to a seven percent downward range on earnings over the next four quarters going off those sorts of stats so uh yeah i thought that was just quite interesting
0: i love stats like that kyle have you had any wild expectations uh from people or even yourself about where we're going to end up in 2023
2: no, I mean, Gary Glover from Novus Capital had a really interesting conversation. He, he likes to sort of draw on his, um, history a little bit. And I mean, I guess the, the 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 rule of thumb, right, is that you don't sort of start becoming fully invested in equities until, you know, the Fed actually does start to to cut. And, of course, too, that we actually start to see at the bottom of a recession or for, you know, equity markets bottom. And he sort of draws the parallels to the 1940s and 1970s and, and sort of sticks with this whole notion that we have seen a regime shift. Where, you know, like, like the RBI actually spoke about, really, you know, in that, in that really, uh, well, Governor Lowe spoke about it in December in that really interesting speech about, you know, the outlook for inflation in the in the much longer term, that the supply side is, is far less elastic than it used to be. And therefore, we're going to have periods of, you know, very high inflation or inflation that's been, you know, above target and, and will require much more active policymaking as a result. Long story short, he seems to think that, you know, we'll, we'll start to see markets that are much more range bound in the longer term. And, you know, we're not talking... 100, 200 point ranges but ones that could you know fluctuate in sort of 10 15 percent ranges up and to, and to the downside yep. Um and that's I in my, my sympathies are until we actually start to see inflation back at target and policy can be truly expansionary which it won't be at any point this year I don't think um, you know you won't see a trending market to the upside so I'd, I'd say I'd say rangy and um, yeah that's I think that might be something that happens for for a lot longer than anyone cares to to you know, I guess if not admit, has to think about. Yeah, I, I I
0: am still of the of the occasion that we're going to end up maybe about where we are now. I mean, we're already up almost four percent just in the US, you know, and we're up a bit more than that because of everything that's going on with China. But the- well, we're
2: up, we're up as well. We're up. If you look at a 52 week um, calendar year, we're up one and a half percent from this time last year, and it was night It was the 19th of January last year. So I was looking back at it when I was just going writing through the report yesterday, where we had that big puke. When when things started to turn, you know, go tits up. So, you know, the US market's different, but the ASX 200 is actually, over the last 12 months, yeah, it's been volatile, but we're back above where we were before the the RBA started its rate hiking cycle. We're we're doing, Mm. we're, we're, we're actually in a pretty solid position as it is. So it's going to be hard to see much more than
0: that. Yeah. I think I think that we do. It's a, it's a meandering up and down to get us to pretty much where we are now. That's in the US. Here, I'm very positive of what's going on in Australia as well. Uh, that being that, we've maxed out our time. So last chance, last bids, last calls. Anyone?
1: Uh, I'm Pretty much done, I think.
0: Good. Good. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for joining us, Kyle Rudder from Ausbiz and Heath Moss from HLM Investments.
1: Thanks, mate. It's good to be good
0: on. Job. All right. Now, the episode might be over. Oh, I like to. Natalie's written some great copy for us here. This episode might be over, but your ETF investing journey with Global X is only just beginning. The expert team at Global X ETFs is ready to support your needs with their wide suite of ETFs. For the latest updates, follow Global X ETFs on LinkedIn and Twitter at Global X ETFs Australia. Fantastic, and thank you so much for them keeping the lights on and keeping us all going with what we're doing as well. Um, and that's it. Look, that's the end of the show. Thanks very much, guys, and have yourself a great weekend. Have a great Australia Day, and I'll, uh, I'll catch you next week.
2: Cheers. Talk to you soon. See ya. You can
0: find us on iTunes, at The Bip Show, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter, at the underscore Bip underscore show, and we're on Facebook too. Just search for The Bip Show. I've got a website. Just Google Wheelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at JamesWhelan42 on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. Hey, everyone. It's James here. Really quickly, thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for all of your support that you've that you've given me through the year. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Just a note also, I am hosting a webinar in February next year. It's going to be jam-packed an hour. It's online. Lots of guest speakers have lined up already, and uh, and it's going to be great. So if you could show your support, get behind that one, and, and click an RSVP. Uh, it's uh, it'll be a great sign. It's going to be a great night. I'm really, really looking forward to it. So thanks, guys. But for now, have yourself a great break if you're taking one. Merry Christmas, New Year. Stay safe.